today and tomorrow, I mean next Sunday. Um, and I thought, um, those of you that uh, know me and, and you especially that know me intimately, you will have to agree that I could not end my teaching here at this church after 27 years and 41 years in the ministry on a better passage than this. This is a heartbeat for me. And this whole topic is a heartbeat for me. And so I decided, this is really interesting, Lord, that this is where you have me as I teach my final two messages. Paul is writing to Timothy. You're in John 13, okay? He's writing to Timothy, Paul is, and the Apostle Paul. And you'll remember these verses, this verse in Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 2, that in the last days, there you go. Thank you, Debbie. In the last days, there will be difficult times for people will be, and there it is right there, lovers of self. Now, if you know the passage, you know it just goes on, and it describes the days that we live in. But I think we all agree, don't we, that we live in a time where mankind loves themselves. They are about themselves, and everything revolves around that. And we've got to be honest, right? If we are not honest with ourselves, then we are playing some type of religious game with the Lord in our walk with him. But we have to be honest with ourselves and admit that that tendency towards self lies within each one of us. Amen? Amen. It does, doesn't it? You see it. And isn't it frustrating? It is frustrating beyond belief to me. You figure it out for yourself that when I don't want that tendency and the next thing you know, I see that tendency in me. Just like, ugh. You know, Romans 7, right? What a wretched man I am. But that tendency is there. But listen carefully, believer. There is a difference if we have given our life to Christ and now we have God's spirit working in us. And that isn't an if that. If you've given your life to Christ, you do have God's spirit residing in you, working in you and through you, upon you, speaking to you all the time. It was funny the other day, me and my wife were doing something. I prayed for something. She says, you can't pray for that. I said, yes, I can. And it wasn't this time. It wasn't a parking place, but it was something like that. I said, yes, I can. I do this all the time. And she goes, no, you can't pray. I said, fine, I'm praying like that. You don't have to. (laughs) And I can't remember what it was. I don't know if it happened or not. But then not too many days ago, all of a sudden she said, we should pray about this. And I gently said, huh, this kind of sounds like the other thing I said we should pray about the other day. And so we prayed. And it was great, but we can't. But there's a difference that we have Christ in us. We have the spirit in us. So one, we have a power that can control that tendency. What's the word say that I can do all things in Christ? And so often we think that's outward and charging ahead, but why can it not be as well? I can do all things in Christ, the inner work that God wants to do. And not I, it's in Christ, see? And the second thing is living by God's word We are told to live a different way. And I'll tell you, this passage lays out a different way that we are to live, and it really should speak to us. As we come to John 13, it's a passage many of us know that Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And I want us to just look at three things. Two of them are obvious. One isn't so obvious. The obvious ones are humility or being humble, right? That's obvious in here. Some take that track with this passage and they just use it to teach about humility. Nothing's wrong with that. As a matter of fact, I thought I should have said more about that. So maybe next week I will say more about that. <laughs> but there's the other thing about being a servant. I believe that's the main thing this passage is talking about. 
It isn't talking about a ceremony of foot washing. It isn't talking about anything else. Jesus is talking about being a servant. And then there's a third thing that I'll bring up next week. And that has to be the subject of loyalty. And it doesn't stick out at first, but it comes out in Judas disloyalty. So you're going to see a couple verses today that hint at that. And if you read ahead from 18 on next week, you'll see it's full blown that this was a man that was one of the 12. He was in that circle, if you will, but he had no loyalty to Jesus. He had a loyalty to himself. And so I just thought that's a great topic too, that the Lord wants those in us. He wants humility. He wants servanthood. He wants loyalty in our lives. So those three traits, characteristics are there. And I hope there's a desire in you that you say, Lord, I want that. It's kind of like what, remember what John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. These things are Jesus increasing in us. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for our morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that if we haven't taken a moment to ask you to speak to us this morning, to minister to us in this service this morning, that we would do so right now. I pray you'd speak to us, Lord. I pray that we have come and our heart is to hear from your word and to hear you, Lord. Lord, you know everyone in this room, including myself. You know the things that we're facing. You know the issues that we're facing. You know the things that you want us to see. And so bring those forth this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so we're just before the Passover, and I mean just before, okay? In the city of Jerusalem, the nation of Israel, they are going to celebrate one of their main feasts, the Passover feast. And of course, if you don't know, and that's fine, you know, but the Passover feast was a celebration going all the way back hundreds of years before when Israel found themselves captive in Egypt. And Egypt would, the Pharaoh would not let them go. And so finally there was the plague that would take the firstborn. And God told the Israelites, if you will take the blood of a lamb, no mistake here, <laughs> what it was pointing to, and you'll put it upon your doorpost, that angel of death would pass over you, but all the, is, uh, the Egyptian children will be taken. And so they celebrated that. It's what set them free and gave them their freedom to then journey on and eventually make it into Israel. And so that's what the Passover is. Now, two things that we want to note in verse one. Jesus knew that his hour had come. And what that means, the final part of his earthly history, okay? Not a literal hour, but now we're in the days of his time on the... Well, I've got to be careful here because it's days before he's going to be crucified and then he'll be with us. He'll, he was on the earth for a period before he ascended. But we are down now to days before he's going to be crucified, when he would lay down his life, shed his blood and return to heaven. And so I read estimates as much as a day before he'll be crucified and as low as somewhere between 15 to 18 hours from what we're reading today, he will be hung upon the cross and crucified and die. And so while it can seem man did this, right? It wasn't. It was God's plan and really a glorious plan, right? We sometimes think, oh, but listen, 
When you think of what his death provided for you and I, I say, thank you, Lord. What a glorious thing that you had done in us. The second thing is, notice he said he loved his own, and that's past tense. He had loved them. And notice, and he loved them to the end. And so now all of a sudden there's a shift a little bit. That doesn't mean he didn't love the world. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. But what it means now is that those intimate followers of his, and it wasn't just the disciples. There were more disciples than what we think of when we think of disciples. There were people, men, women, uh, that were following him. And it says here that he loved them to the end. And I love this because he's in the face of being crucified and watch this. Let this passage speak to you this morning. If you were in the face of being crucified in hours, notice what he does. His thoughts, his heart, his actions are where? On others. And I just go, oh Lord, that is so amazing. So verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garment, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And so here we get the first hint of what Judas is going to do in his betrayal, that disloyalty, if you will. He is self-centered. That's what his heart is. And so his loyalty was for himself. It wasn't for Christ and it wasn't for the things of God. And I want you to know something else here, that this is a change in the book of John right now. Up to chapter 12 through chapter 12, we have seen Jesus ministering to the multitude. Now he only has hours left and you will see a shift that heals minister to those who believed in him, who followed him. And little did he know who would, many of them would lay down their life for him. And so when he says there in verse one, he loved them to the end. That's what we see here. And it's pretty amazing if you think, and those of you that can, the rest of you maybe look later. If you think of what's in chapter 13 to 17, And this is a short time frame of hours and he's going to speak to the disciples. It's amazing. That's where you get John 17, his high priestly prayer. That's where you get the whole chapter about abiding in Christ and he will abide in you. So it's as if like he has saved these uh, tenderloin pieces of meat for the end and he is going to teach them this stuff that is just so important and so amazing. And so that's what we see now. We see this shift take place. So he rose from the dinner table and he went to wash the disciples' feet. And don't miss the words, the father had given all things into his hands. All these things are important. Think of that. The father had given everything into his hands. And so being God, having all power, the creator, he's a healer. Jesus had no problem being a servant and serving. It was who he was. And so true to his words, the greatest among you shall be your servant of all. Jesus did that. And this wasn't the first time he did that. He had given them an example of being a servant over and over again. And this time he'll wash their feet. John MacArthur says this that I just thought it hit me and I hope it hits you. He says, by stressing Jesus' exaltation, John revealed the depth of his humility 
incredibly and incomprehensibly, the glorious creator and ruler of the universe was about to wash the disciples' dirty feet, a menial task reserved for the lowest of slaves. The primary principle Jesus wanted the disciples to learn was the importance of humble, loving servancy. And again, let that speak to you. And listen, I include myself, if not as much more than I include you, that at times I and we are guilty of not being that. That's why I thought today, I just thought, Lord, this is amazing, this passage. It should speak to us. If we can be here today and go out of this room today without at least during our time of communion offering up a prayer to Lord of forgiveness for how at times we aren't the servant we're supposed to be, I want to tell you something. You have something wrong in your relationship with the Lord. This passage is a powerful passage. It should drive us to our knees. It should cause us to say, Lord, I am a sinner. Please forgive me because so often I'm not what you want me to be. And so we let that sink in, that God the Son, whom all things had been given in his hand, he humbled himself to the place of an earthly servant. And, and, and that's kind of, I think we missed something there. Because in Jesus' day, household servants, servants that served Rome, et cetera, et cetera, were everywhere. We don't have that in our culture. You know, and there were ranks of serv- servants. And in this case, it'd be the lowest servant that was chosen to do this task. And so we miss a little bit there, and maybe that's why it makes it hard, because again, going back to lovers of self in Paul's words to Timothy, we are anything about being servants in this culture that we live in. We will serve, but we also want to benefit from what we do. And so uh, we see this message. And, And don't make a mistake, I already hinted at this, of thinking that this is the only time that Jesus... Uh, talked about being a servant. Um, he came from heaven in humility. It, was, it wasn't something he took on. It's in the very nature of God, right? Just as you and I have things in our nature that God has given us, and we go, thank you, Lord, for that. We also have things in our nature that aren't of the Lord. And we go, I don't thank you for that, Lord. I want that out of there, man. I was thinking about this the other day about how God puts his hands on us. Have you ever wondered that, some of you, about what you find yourself doing today and could you trace sometimes the roots even back to before you knew who Jesus was? My mom, and my mom has been passed away now for a few years, but my mom used to tell me when we lived down in Ballard on 8th Avenue, we lived on the street called Cleopatra and it was just, it was like a glorified alley is what it was. It really was. And, but it was the coolest neighborhood, man. There had to be, I'm not joking, there had to be 30 to 50 kids and that neighborhood, that's what we did, man. We just, you know, played and everything else. But my mom one time, and I could remember it, she said, you know, I remember you on that neighborhood. And I was a tyke. I was elementary school. She said, you'd always watch out for the little kids. And I never, I didn't tell her to say something to me, mom, that I want to hear. But I realized even back then, it seems like God was saying, I got something for you and I'm going to make you a lover of mankind, and you're going to be my servant, see? And it's interesting that we see that, and so this is what we see in Jesus. Philippians tells us that he took upon himself, what, the form of a servant. So he was always a servant, Jesus was. 
Now, the disciples at this dinner would not be sitting in chairs like we do. Nothing's wrong with that. They just didn't sit that way. On special occasions like this was, they would sit, the table would be low. They had rest on pillows. And some of you guys are already going, oh, that sounds good. And their feet would be out away from the table. So they would rest on their um, left arm and they would eat with their right. And so uh, the other, uh, as they did this, their feet, of course, were dirty. Many of you have been to Israel, and your feet will still get dirty in Israel if you go there. Um, they have a lot of paved roads, but it will. Um, so um, washing their feet, um, in this case, it really wasn't a ceremony. And I'm not against the ceremony of foot washing, but I think if that's what we say this passage is all about, we're missing it. It was really a practical need. And so walking those streets, there'd be dust, there'd be dirt. Have you ever been in thick dust? We went up uh, this spring and watched my little uh, boy, my grandson, play a baseball game. And um, he loved the dirt. Um, it was so funny because he, at every base, uh, he would just sit down and clean the base. And he came home looking like Pigpin from the Peanuts cartoon. And Jeremy said, well, every time he plays, we do this. So he comes home, we throw him in the shower. Um, but that thick, heavy dust on those ball fields, you know, and so that's what their feet would have been like. There could have even been mud at times if it rained. You know, when there's dust like that and it rains, how fast mud can get made. And so their feet were dirty and they would come into the house and at a house or a place where they'd gather like this, um, there was, it was a custom that there'd be a servant that would wash the people that came in's feet because they were dirty. And so at the entry, there'd be these large pots of water there'd be a pitcher to take the water from the pot into the basin. There'd be a basin. There'd be a towel on the wall. And that was just a part of the household, see? And so washing one's feet, um, they would come in and they'd see that. But it was a lowly task to, for the lowliest servant, if you will. It was so low that Jewish servants, and there were Jewish servants, they did not have to do this. They didn't do this. It would be Gentile servants who were the ones who would wash the feet. And so that order, that ranking of servanthood was there. So Jesus takes this lowest, lowest place to wash the feet. And so gathering, there was no servant to do this. And it would seem that Jesus is going to wait because they've gathered. They start to eat. It says he got up during supper. And I think he is waiting to see, will one of my disciples... Have they caught what I've shown them now for over three years, be a servant and get up and wash the feet? And so he waits and he's seeing if they're going to do that. And if no servant was there, then the first guest was supposed to do it. And we're not told who the first guest to arrive was, but it was one of those disciples or if not all those disciples. And that didn't happen. So Jesus gets up and he does the task of the lowest servant and in this case, one of the disciples should have done it, but they didn't do it. And I wonder if at first they were shocked when Jesus was doing this. I think they were. I think they realized right then, the minute he got up and he walked over to that part of the room and they, it wouldn't take long to know what he, is he going to go? Oh my goodness. He's taken his outer coat off. Oh, he's put, they knew right then. And I think they were shocked. 
And so they were shocked. And did they realize their failure? Was there shame as their hearts were exposed? It had to be humbling as one by one, he then went around the table and washed their feet. And it wasn't a spritz. There was no spray bottles. (laughs) You know, he had to get down on his knees, no doubt about it. You know, probably put the basin. I don't know how they did it, you know. Maybe they put the feet over the basin, but you know what I'm trying to say here. And so 12 sets of feet would have taken some time. And I thought, was it quiet? I think it was quiet. And did they stop eating? I think they stopped eating. And no doubt they knew he was showing them something that they had missed. And so verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? In other words, I I, I can't say that right. I know I didn't get that right. But the other words, by no means are you going to wash my feet. See, he understood that he who is the greatest, the king of kings, now was doing something that they should have done, that a servant should do. And so Peter had a problem with it. And and it shows that he understood he was the son of God and shouldn't be washing feet because of his greatness. Now listen to that for a minute. It shows that he felt, Peter felt, that Jesus shouldn't be washing feet because he is the greatest. Anybody see a problem with that statement? That isn't right. That is a wrong statement. If Jesus came as a servant to be a servant, there was nothing wrong with him now washing the feet. That's what he was. Now, in this case, a disciple probably should have done it, or several of them. But this is what I want you to understand. We have to understand that that can be our problem as well. We think there are things that are for other people to do. And especially if it falls into that lowliest category of thing, right? We think that at times. Now, I could get a little gross this morning. I think I will. Okay? I'll never forget one time I took our youth. This is years ago. I took them down to the Calvary summer camp down in Southern California, up at Green Bluff. I don't know where I was, but you know where I am. And... uh, we got there and they had these cabins. Each side like could sleep 60 and the middle was the bathrooms. Great big bathrooms, right? And there was a, obviously a boy, I was in the boy's cabin, that had a blow up. Can I just leave it at that? And, the, and it was a blow up, guys. It was nothing like you had ever seen in your life. It was everywhere. And it was gross, And Wink will tell you from the time I tried to change my daughter's diaper one time, I have this reflex to that type of stuff. And so I didn't do anything, but I'm pretty sure I felt the Lord saying, oh, you're going to do something. And I think it went by for into the second day and there were other stalls and urinals, et cetera, but nothing had done. And so I remember one night the Lord just made it clear you don't need to go to dinner tonight. You know where the janitor closet is in that building and you go up and take care of that situation. And I did. And I'll be honest with you. It was gross. I was gagging. It was like torturous, you know. But it was just something the Lord told me to do. And I did it. And I say that to us because I want you to understand, and again, I include myself at times, that we 
say we are servants and we want to be a servant, but there are certain things we actually will not do, even though we don't see that. That's what our attitude is. And so that's where the disciples were at. And that's what Peter was doing. And that's our problem at the time. We can think certain tasks aren't for us. But mark it, you guys. It is the world that establishes ranks and positions of prominence which flows from man's flesh. That is not the Spirit of God. And that is not the Word of God. And that is not our Savior, Jesus Jesus, the greatest, took on the form of a servant, leaving an example. We are to be servants of all, see? And I'm glad that he took the lowest servant because there's nowhere to go up, uh, go from, than up from there, right? So you have to be the lowest servant, but you could be other servants as well, but you gotta be all that, see? And so verse seven, watch as he responds to Peter. He says, Jesus answered him, what am, what I'm in doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. So some of it's clear. Some of it might be a little unclear for you, but let me help you see what it's talking about. First, we love Peter, don't we? And be careful that you, when you love Peter, hopefully you love him because you see yourself in Peter. But don't think the others didn't share the same attitude. You're not going to wash my feet, Lord. You're the Lord. You shall never. And if Peter would have just stopped after verse 7, look at it again, right? What I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Stop, Peter. Zip it. (laughs) Don't say another word. Trust God. (laughs) He didn't, did he? He didn't stop. And it's never a good thing when we tell Jesus no and we tell Jesus what to do, right? But there it is. And note that, you guys, because we've done that. We have said no to the Lord. We have told Jesus what would be a good thing for him to do. And then we wonder why he doesn't do it. But that's never a good thing. Second, it's as if Peter didn't hear a word Jesus said. Do you see that there? Jesus says, what I'm doing you do not understand, but afterwards you will understand. Okay, Lord, I trust you. I'll be quiet. No. Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. If I, if you do not wash, if I do not wash you, and then Peter said, Lord, my feet, not my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And he didn't really hear a word that Jesus said. Again, convicting, isn't it? How often we're seeking the Lord. Lord, I need to hear from you. He speaks to us. Not that. Lord, I need to hear from you. See, but that's what he was doing. And I don't need to say this, but I will. Don't we, again, do the same thing? And we do it often. It doesn't usually create, and it creates a mess, doesn't it? When we move ahead in things, we see emotionally people get in a mess over things at times because they're just not simply trusting the Lord. And they, relationships get in a mess, both with others and with the Lord. We all understand that. Listen to what William Barclay said. I thought this was good. Here's the lesson that there's only one kind of greatness, the greatness of service. The world is full of people who are standing on their dignity when they ought to be kneeling at the feet of their brethren. In every sphere of life, desire for prominence and unwillingness to take a subordinate place wreck the scheme of things. 
When we are tempted to think of our dignity, our prestige, our rights, let us see again the picture of the Son of God, girt with a towel, kneeling at the feet, at his disciples' feet. I thought, yes, Lord. And so Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And notice what he said there. He didn't say, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no share with me. He says, if I don't wash you, and that's significant because there's a couple things I want you to understand about this that are important. First of all, when he says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me, it is speaking of something spiritual, not physical. He is not talking about any type of physical washing there. When he says, if I do not wash you, he is talking, in other words, about not the water we drink, but being cleansed from sin by Jesus' blood and his death. How many of you know the hymn, the old hymn? My wife could tell me the name of it and tell me where it's at. I couldn't quite lock that in. Have you been to Jesus for his cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? I could go on. I could get Charlie up here to start drumming. <laughs> But it's a great hymn. And we used to sing songs like that. We still do. We sing that about Jesus washing us. But that's what he's talking about here. He's saying, Peter, you are following me. You know me. You don't need to be washed. You've been washed. In other words, I have washed your sin away, Peter. Or actually, it'd have to be after the cross. But that's what he's saying there. And so then he says, when he says in verse 10a, look at that. He says, Jesus said, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but in complete, it is completely clean. Are you clean? But not every one of you, see? And so again, it's not a literal washing. If we are forgiven of our sins, if we've given our life to Christ, then all we need is that daily forgiveness. And I was thinking this morning as we were worshiping, Lord, how we need that. I'm so thankful, and I hope you are. I mean this, you guys. I don't really have any aspirations or hope that these last two sermons are just going to radiate with you and you'll never forget what I said. You'll forget what I said. I'll forget what I said. You know, I'll have to get out my notes again to see it. But I want you to understand and see this, that it is so important that we understand we have daily sins that need to be washed, don't we? And I hope you feel that. As we were worshiping today, I was just saying, Lord, I am so wretched. There is so much sin still that abides in me, Lord. Forgive me. And I thought, Lord, help your church to see that today. If you do not have a sense of your unrighteousness, and don't get me wrong here, I'm not trying to put doubt into you. If you are in Christ, you are seen in his righteousness. But you understand there is still that completing of your righteousness that's going to take place when you receive a new body. And so we sense that. We think the thoughts we shouldn't think. We don't serve when we should serve. We have the wrong attitude when we should have this attitude, see. And I hope you see that. That's so important. That shows you you're alive to God. You're alive to his spirit and his word. And we need to understand that in this passage that that's what's coming out. So Jesus says that. Peter, you don't need to be washed. Just your feet. Just those daily things, Peter, that you continue to do. And so coming to Jesus, we need to ask ourselves, are we washed? Are our sins washed away and forgiven? But after that, is there that daily forgiveness that is taking place as well? Well, he goes on, verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place. Can you picture it? 
This, has, this is a powerful scene. I wish we had the video. <laughs> you know, so he's done. He goes back and puts things back and he comes and he, he says to them, do you understand what I've done to you? Question mark. I wonder if he let it hang for a little bit. You call me teacher and Lord and you're right, for so I am. In other words, I am your teacher. I am your Lord. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, here it is, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And again, nothing wrong with these, a foot washing service, okay? But I don't think that's what he's saying here because in, in verse eight, 17, he'll make it clear. He says, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And he was teaching this lesson of being a servant, of humbling ourselves. He returns to the table. And I wonder what that was like when he came back. I think it had to be dead quiet. I think many would have a hard time looking at him as he talked, for they realized what they had done. They had to be humiliated that they had missed that they should have been the ones that washed the feet. But notice this, you guys, and this is the nature of our God. This is the nature of Jesus Christ and really Father, Son, and Spirit, that they're always full. There's a verse that says this about Jesus, full of grace and truth. See, there's no rebuke. These are his disciples. He doesn't nail him and say, get out of here. You're not worthy of following me. He's full of grace, but he's full of truth. And so no rebuke is grace. Truth is you've got to be servants, see? And just the exhortation to do as he had done, to serve others, to be humble. If I, your Lord and teacher and master, humble myself to the place of a lowly servant, he says, you should be doing the same thing. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And that's part of the problem, isn't it? We know that. If you are here today and you didn't know you're supposed to be a servant, praise the Lord. Now you know. <laughs> but I think the majority of you are here today and you knew and you know and you are. I'm not saying you're not servants, okay? But you realize at times where, ooh, that wasn't servant-like. <laughs> or, you know, you know what I mean? And you just feel that in your heart. And so next week, we'll pick it up, and I'll go into more of this chapter. But I want to leave this morning, and I don't want us to leave this morning, without first responding. Without first responding to Jesus' example and his words. Listen, you have to. I have to. We cannot read God's word and hear it taught and think about it and then just act like it's nothing. It requires, it demands a response. Is there need for us? Let me ask you some questions here. Is there need for us, you, me, to repent and ask forgiveness for our failure and attitude and actions? Again, I don't have to answer that. You, I mean, I'm not going to answer for you. If your relationship, if there's that sensitive in your life that they're supposed to be, then you answer that to the Lord. He's looking to you for you and he's looking to me for me. But is there that there? Is there a lack of a servant's heart? 
Okay, let me rephrase that. I could say, well, let me just leave that. If there's a lack of servant's heart and you are supposed to be a servant and you're not a servant, then you need to be a servant. But maybe I need to say this for some of us. Is there lack of a servant's heart in you at times? Oh, how much more than we need the Spirit of God to control us, amen? Where pride got in and stopped us from having a humbled heart, has that happened? Of course it has happened. And so do your feet need to be washed this morning? And don't worry, there's not gonna be a bunch of basins brought out. But you understand the passage? That's what it's about. That they needed their feet washed. And many of us, I think, this morning would have to say, Lord, wash my feet. You have exposed me today. But remember, he is full of grace. He's full of truth. God is love. Do you understand that? He's not like you and I are at times where we're conditional. So he loves you. And he asks that. So when it comes to being the servant, Jesus says we are to be, are you? Is serving and being a servant part of who you are? Or it once was, but now self has again taken over. And if I could, I hate this because it makes us sound like we're all so old in this room, but let me just talk to you that are, if you consider yourself older than this is for you, I was walking across, we're staying in our uh, house on the west side right now. We have two homes. One just has wheels on it. And so I'm staying in our house with wheels and it's like camping all summer long in our trailer over here behind that house. But I was walking over there this morning to get ready after I'd been over here finishing up my study. And I had this thought with the Lord. I said, Lord, why do we change? Why does the passion, the fire that at one time we had for you dissipate as we've walked with you a long time? And I'm not sure I have the answer for that. And I think it's something maybe that you just need to work out. But don't you see that at times, you guys? What happened? What has got in and clouded things and complicated things and just made it so our faith has become so sterile and whatever? You know, when I came to the Lord, (laughs) I was living in Great Falls, Montana. That's where Jennifer was born. And I had a radical conversion. I did. And I had an old 57 Chevy pickup with a homemade uh, topper on it, you know, not a camper, but just a thing. And it it was hilarious. It painted white. The truck was red. It hadn't always been red. It was yellow. And one day I said, hey, Wink, come on to the garage here and help me. And our friend came over and goes, what are you doing? I said, we're painting the truck. And we had quarts of shiny gloss red paint from Sears and we were painting the truck red. Came out good, Ann. You'll have to try it someday, okay? <laughs> but, but I remember just, I love the Lord so much. And that was 1972. You remember 72, you guys, if you were alive. I mean, there was, a, there was a revival and the spirit of God was working across this country. And I just painted signs. I'm not an artist, trust me. I just painted signs. One said Jesus and I screwed it to the back of my truck. I put two others on the other side. And I'm sure as I drove around Great Falls, Montana, it wasn't a great big city. That truck was always seen and people would go, <laughs> you know, and that was me just being crazy for Jesus. Well, what's happened? What's changed? Why have we packed it up so sterile now that it can't be that way? And so I think being a servant is one of those things that the Lord would have us do. Go ahead, guys, come back up, worship team.
I believe that this passage is a sacred passage. Now you think about that. I've been studying it for over two weeks, but I think this passage is a very sacred passage of scripture. That doesn't mean all scripture isn't sacred. But what I mean is the content, the subject matter is so important that we are told, we are asked to be like Jesus. We are to be like the King of Kings who did this. And I believe it is asking a response from every one of us. Humble yourselves. Serve each other. Serve people, you guys. It's what we are to do. So we're going to take up communion now. And as we do, we're not, I'm not going to ask you if you want to come up. Um, I'll be up here in the front row. I'll pray with you. But can we just make sure that as we take communion this morning, isn't it perfect? We're going to take communion now. We're going to celebrate the Lord's uh, death upon the cross, his shedding his blood for what we're talking about. We're going to come before our servant and king. And how appropriate to say, this is what I do, just thank you, Lord. The Lord isn't yelling at you. The Lord isn't mad at you. But the Lord wants you to come to him and just say, Lord, I fall short. And he he knows you do. But he wants to wash your feet this morning in a spiritual sense. Amen. So guys, gals, come forward, serve the communion. Um, Why don't you hold on to it? And then I'll come back up and I'll lead us in a time of taking it, okay?